there was there was a point that was in my brain, Ray. We're gonna edit this out. What was it? There was, there was something I wanted. <laughs> no, to... this is the intro. Yeah, there was something. There was something <laughs> I really wanted to say. To understand geopolitics, you must have the freedom to be honest. The More Freedom Foundation podcast. Hello, Rob. How are you today? Not bad. Not bad. Um, I'm a little. I'm a little irritated at the U.S. court system. Uh, but what have they done now? But you might be excited. Uh, I know you're. Uh, you're a bit. Uh, a bit more of a crypto advocate than I am. Uh, and uh, uh, is this the? Uh, is it FTX? No, not FTX. Sorry, the uh, Ripple. Yeah, Ripple. Uh, the Ripple decision. Uh, so I have been watching with glee. Uh, in recent months, as the Securities and Exchange Commission has finally started doing what I believe they should have been doing a decade ago, and has finally started uh, cracking down on crypto. And it now seems that the New York courts uh, are saying they can't do that. Uh, I haven't read the decision. That could be an overinterpretation. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good it's a it's a good day for the crypto advocates and a bad day for the crypto haters. So uh, I guess so if New York say this, does this pretty much have huge effects worldwide then? Well, actually, it, we, we talked about the SDNY uh, in a, you remember the Donziger case we went into in detail yeah. and the power of the Southern District of New York. This is, I believe, I uh, very briefly like looked at the first page of the decision, and I believe it is a Southern District of New York decision, which has all of those implications. Uh, the EU is still, you know, is not technically bound by... Uh, decisions of the United States. But my understanding is that the UK especially, and also the EU, those are still two different things, uh, are much more friendly towards crypto than, which is kind of weird because that's, that's not the vibe you get from like, oh, regulatory EU or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're making iPhone use um, USB chargers. Sure, sure. Well, so that's the general idea of Europe, that it's much more regulatory focused. But I think both the UK and Europe are feeling really behind on tech, so they're being perhaps more friendly uh, to uh, crypto. Well, I know places like Germany don't tax you on crypto profits. Wow, wow that's that's quite something. Yeah, that's incredible. It, it could be maybe they're just behind in legislation. Exactly, and I think that's what the you what the case was with the US. If you'd have asked me uh, last week uh, that the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, was catching up and things were going to crack down uh but now it looks like uh the sec is going to have its hands tied to some degree i don't know to what degree but it is no question that it's it's a good day uh for rury and the crypto lovers and a bad day for robin <laughs> could the be a good day for el salvador uh yeah no i think it it, it almost certainly was because uh, i think there was a there was a boost in the bitcoin price uh and a boost in a whole range of other things but anyway i don't want to do a crypto podcast Okay. Um, I'm a wee bit annoyed. I was going to get Joe Biden as a guest, but I've heard that he's quite a potty mouth, so I've had to cancel that. That makes sense. Are you aware of a lot of other terrible things Joe Biden's done since he's got into power? <laughs> well, uh, and then that's an interesting uh, question that is sort of where I wanted to start off. To what degree is Joe Biden responsible for what I think is now fair to describe as a U.S. economic miracle? And I think that there's a lot of just chum in the internet. There's a lot of uh, doubt and questioning from primarily from Republicans and more right-oriented, libertarian-oriented tech people determine what shows up uh, on the internet to some extent, uh, as well as right-leaning media. But I think this week, the, the current vibe in the United States this week is that we're all kind of waking up to the fact that actually 
inflation might be transitory. We might be uh, experiencing a uh, soft landing, which nobody thought was possible. It's really just a, a new week, uh, a new set of data points to add to a pretty extraordinary set of successes since the COVID pandemic. This is something we need to appreciate. This is something we need to notice. Beforehand, I think before we get into it, most important, we got to do some throat clearing. This is what things look like on the Friday we're recording this. By Monday, <laughs> when this is published, we could have an entirely different narrative. Uh, these, um, and I could actually, I can imagine a narrative uh, that would change everything dramatically. Say uh, the Texas grid goes out again, or maybe this is, I be I've, believe not just from the paranoid, say the Northeast grid went out. We've got an ongoing universal heat wave in the United States. You could imagine the grid going out. You could imagine natural gas prices spiking in the United States, which means they spike worldwide, which means the whole worldwide recovery, including the U.S. recovery, starts looking a lot more tenuous. Uh, inflation spikes again. So this could all go out the window. But the, the broader narrative, I think, that I want to talk about today I think goes deeper than how we're feeling this week or how a crisis impacts. I think that one of the most important things about the past three years that need to be underlined that I don't think people really grasp is the extent to which nobody has any idea what the heck is going on. <laughs> it's really stunning. And if you if you just scrape a little bit below the surface, the smartest financial journalists in the country, the most in-depth uh, economic thinkers, Nobel Prize winners, if you get, you know, if you make it past the second or third paragraph, all of them are like, well, I don't know. None of this makes any sense. And I think I, I want to talk about that and emphasize that and talk about the many, many myths that have been utterly destroyed uh, and also posit a new narrative, uh, talk about uh, things that I think might be going right, that I think are pretty clear in the data, even in some stories that are being reported. But it's a narrative that for partisan political reasons, we don't hear much about and also just for basic inequality reasons. The fact that the top 20% uh, is not as different from each other as they like to imagine and has some pretty basic macroeconomic interests that are not being served by how great the economy is right now. Uh, even what, what we've got right now is being described by a fair amount of people as a white collar recession. You've got people finishing with prestigious business degrees, finishing their prestigious business degrees who can't get jobs. You've got people who uh, had obscene compensation packages at tech companies who've lost their jobs and don't really want to go back to get the new job because they know they're going to be making half of what they were making. Um, to be clear, half of what they were making is still probably like a quarter million dollars a year. But like, but also, mm -hmm. if you say we're in Silicon Valley and you've moved back to the Rust Belt where your parents were from, that's a lot more money than it was in Silicon Valley. Exactly. Uh, that's, that, that is a very good point. But I'm just I'm trying to paint a picture of this this broad um, economic sense in the elite and discussion that there's this economic malaise going on, that things are screwed, that da, 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 da. and that's really not the case. Inequality is falling. This is from the New York Times. This is a direct quote. Uh, in the past two years, the economy undid a 
quarter of in of the income inequality increase since 1980. So that's outstanding. It's, it's extraordinary. The, the way that I'm reminded of what you were saying about the Silicon Valley Bank, which is this is still a bank that isn't covering mom and pop. It's still huge, but it's not so giant that it won't collapse. Is this what we're seeing? A kind of people that are still incredibly wealthy struggling a bit and the average mom and pops are, are working? The average mom and pops are working and most importantly, the average mom and pops are able to work in fields that they want to work in. Uh, there's a great, I mean, there's, there's, that's what the, the, it's a great New York Times article recently talking about the great resignation, but it's something that was enabled by government policy was enabled by a really basic thing. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to be doing uh, Chinese, we're going to be doing US economy and then the Chinese economy. And it's fascinating that really the answer for both of the economies appears to be quite similar. It is give money to poor people. Uh, when I was looking up this topic, one thing I kept hearing, I, I assumed that it was from uh, people of a wealthy position, was they kept talking about how Joe Biden give this massive handout, and this is one of the greatest betrayals in American history. And I'm like, you just give a load of money to normal people. How can that be seen as a horrific thing? Exactly. And I think it's probably better to say, as you just put it, giving money to normal people is that the root of the success of the U.S. economy right now. Uh, just, to, just to quickly review, like, like the, everybody has expected the U.S. economy to crash for the past two years, and it is simply not. In the beginning of 2022, the Federal Reserve started dramatically rising, raising interest rates. And the consensus was that if the Federal Reserve does that, unemployment is going to skyrocket, the markets are going to crash, and the Federal Reserve started raising rates, expecting that to happen, wanting that to happen, because that's what they felt was necessary for inflation to go down. And the extraordinary thing with this inflation print we got last week, um, inflation was at 8%. That's where it was this, uh, well, this time last year, or 7 or 8%. Uh, and that was just horrifying uh, from the context of... Well, I'm seeing mm, 9.1 last June. Yeah, uh, there you, the, 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 it was even higher. And that's horrifying from the perspective. Uh, that is, I am for... But to a Turkish person, that would be great. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but from, we haven't had inflation like that since the 1980s. Uh, so inflation was out of control. The expectation was that we were going to have to simply crush the economy, uh, raise unemployment. Cause a recession cause a is recession. what I've heard a lot about. Exactly. And that didn't happen. We've got unemployment that is lower than it has ever been. I saw some extraordinary data talking about the, the unemployment gap between uh, African-Americans and whites as is closed. I think it's historically low for black people at 4.7. Yeah, but I think the gap has largely been oh, yes. been closed for the first time in in U.S. Well, history. Overall, employment's at 3.4, so if you're to assume white people are maybe getting slightly lower than that. You've done more homework, than, pretty I, close. You've done more homework than I have, Rory. <laughs> uh, I, bet if you, I bet if you normalize it, I bet if you normalize it according to yes. income, uh, it, it's more similar. But anyway... It's it's extraordinary what's been happening, and every economist believes that it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't be happening this way. I'm reminded a lot of the collapse of the Soviet Union, which no Western expert predicted. Yeah, well, that 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 is that is a good point. That is a good point. Certain basics about an economy, and I, I have a I have some beliefs about what those basics are. 
uh, that I'll get into. But I, I think it is worth just emphasizing not only how successful this is considering the COVID disaster, but how much more successful what's going on right now is than anything that happened before. Um, or sorry, than anything that has happened in this century so far. Uh, you can maybe go back to the 1960s and, and, and fire the 1990s. Probably you can find indicators that are that are better. But this is the economic indicators are the best they have been all century. And we're not I don't think we're really emphasizing that enough because people like me, the top 20 percent aren't doing as well. I've heard another thing that a lot of business owners are Republican and because this is very political you're asked, how's the economy doing? And they're like, oh, it's doing badly because, you know, Brandon's in charge. So it's possible they're getting a lot of pessimism from the markets when in reality they're doing all right. That is a huge, huge dynamic. Uh, that is a huge dynamic. And But the basic data on business formation is probably one of the most exciting things. So we had, in the aftermath of the Great Recession, we had this incredibly anemic, unpleasant recovery where the rich just got richer. The stock market continued to do better and better. Uh, and normal Americans did not see any increase in their wages. Unemployment remained stubbornly high. The kinds of jobs that were available stunk. Um, and we just had this like ongoing thing, you know, interest rates were low. Uh, the government, you know, was in austerity, pretty hardcore. This is another problem you know, that, that it shares with the, e the U.S. shares with the EU. Um, and there was just nothing we could ever do about it. And these were just the way things were. Unemployment was naturally this way. It was just natural that uh, uh, this percentage of the workforce would never go back to work. Uh, one of the most important factors in that, and one that made people very worried about the United States generally, was the rate of business formation. The fact that people just weren't starting businesses anymore. Um, or they were, but they weren't starting businesses at the same rate, despite at the elite level, all the excitement and, and you know, frou-frou about the tech, Silicon Valley unicorns and Ivy League kids moving to Silicon Valley to get, you know, start billion dollar companies on their laptops. That was like a top level elite thing in the rest of the U.S. economy, the small business that Republicans plan to care about. Nothing. I mean, just historically low, historically crappy. Because a lot of them just do the very necessities of life, like um, sewerage, like taking out septic tanks. I know there's a man on YouTube I watch, and he's always talking about if you pay your employees more, they tend to hang about longer. But, you know, you're not going to have a tech company that's doing something like that, which is vital. Yeah, the and folks on the left don't like to talk about this because it's true that a lot of small business owners historically have trended Republican. Um, but smaller businesses are the lifeblood of the economy. You absolutely need them. And that was one of the most troubling aspects of the Great Recession was that new businesses weren't being formed anyway, anymore. And we'd hear about this. And what was shocking to me, I just sort of noticed this as an after effect. No, this was, again, in this New York Times article that we should probably put in the show notes. Uh, just this extraordinary, uh, and then I tracked down the numbers elsewhere extraordinary explosion in business formation since COVID. A lot of this was due to necessity. Uh, you lost your job because of COVID. You, you founded a job. But what has happened is that this explosion in business formation has continued. Uh, so in 2022, there was a 27.8% increase over the pre-pandemic baseline in business formation. And that's just the kinds of businesses 
that are judged to be likely to employ more people. If you include like sole proprietorships and whatnot, that number is up 44% since 2019. That's incredible. It's, it's a, it is a renaissance. It is extraordinary. And it is a huge motivating factor behind the uh, stubborn persistence of economic success in the United States. It is a mass organization. So what's happening right now is Biden, Powell at, at the Fed and whatnot, people are sort of patting themselves on the back and saying, look, we, we did it. We, we, we've, we've engineered this incredible soft landing. Let's go back to lower interest rates and tax breaks forever for me and mine, you know? Um, and that's, I think that's inaccurate. I think that is not noticing what actually happened here. And I think what happened here is that for the first time in 40 years, because of the COVID pandemic, we gave a lot of money to everybody else. We gave money to normal people. And that has, that allowed the great resignation to happen. Uh, so I just want the mechanics between the great resignation leading to plummeting inequality. The great resignation was not as uh, the business owners writing in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal opinion pages wanted to tell us, lazy millennials leaving their jobs to, to sit around and, and take avocado toast and, and money from the government. No, no, no. Like what it was, was people leaving really horrific jobs to take better jobs. In some cases, founding their own businesses, in some cases, simply jumping to a better employer because workers were finally in demand. And that has that, that extraordinary eradication of, you know, not eradication, it, it's only brought income inequality down a quarter of what has happened since 1980, according to New York Times. But that's extraordinary progress in two years' time. And I think it's, a, it's not just that pandemic era policies have made things better for uh, the 80% of, of the country. They've also made things better for the top 20% as well. And what's so fr frustrating to me is that I don't think the elite in the United States, including myself, top 20% is fully recognizes what has happened here. Yet we're not getting, you know, uh, our stock portfolios going up 20% a year or whatever, but they're like, you know, they're, we're not losing money. And the vitality of the economy that holds up the elite as well has been incredibly enforced, like incredibly, like all of these absurd tech valuations that frankly should have in the economy we had in 2019 should have fallen back down by 50% are buoyed up by the fact that the U.S. economy, everybody else is doing so well. Um, and I'm really terrified that we're not going to acknowledge what actually happened here and why the U.S. economy is so much healthier than it was, not just for like Republican Fox News nonsense, but also because a lot of the top 20 percent, a lot of the the, the wealthier folks uh, that determine everything about the economy and how it's talked about are, you know, ha not having the best couple of years. Not yeah. I really wanted to <laughs> upgrade my boat. Now I can, you know. Screw Joe well, Biden. Considering they were expecting a recession, you'd think they'd be happy? Yes. Uh, and I think people are getting there. Uh, but the thing is, though, all we need is one big crisis. You know, the grid goes down, uh, gas prices spike again, and then it's, it's uh, hate Biden time again. And that's what Republicans are desperately, desperately looking for. They really, really, really want hate Biden time. And that's why they want to uh, do things like make sure that, that everybody has to start paying their student debts again. 
because uh, that's a key part of this here. I think it's worth worth uh, just mentioning what happened, the specifics of what happened in 2020 and the following years, because this isn't really a Federal Reserve story. The Federal Reserve has done a lot of things that have been very important. I think that uh, Powell deserves a lot of credit for his quick actions in 2020, uh, not just in the United States, but in the world at large. Uh, I believe through a couple removes, the Fed was even supporting China at some points in 2020. Uh, it just like, I, I do think he did some pretty magical stuff to keep the economy from keeling over. But what was more important, and I think what has been more important uh, in the sustained success of the economy is things that Congress did, that Congress did and the president approved. And uh, as much as I hate to admit it, uh, that president was Donald Trump. <laughs> and what Biden has done has continued and attempted to expand a lot of Trump, the, the Trump position on the budget. Um, and of course, the Republicans desperately want to stop that because it's successful and it's making the economy bigger and happier and making people bigger, you know, making things go well. And they really don't want things to be going well in 2024. Do the Republicans do better when things are going badly? Well, it's, it all depends on who's the president at the time. Oh, okay. And you can blame it on? Yeah. If, you, if you're in charge, you want things to go well. And if you are, uh, and there's a great example of this if we just look, go, when we go into the deeper narrative here. So what happened in 2020 was, there was this, I feel like there's this ongoing myth that like, oh, all the federal government did was set out a check for $1,400 and that was it. And then, and then they were just bailing out the big businesses and that, that is a drastic misrepresentation that is entirely inaccurate it was a, it was a massive act in 2020 i think it was the cares act they instantly added you know did like three trillion dollars worth of spending a lot of it was handouts to various companies a lot of it was some of it was misused fraudulently i generally don't care it was meant to do a thing and it did a thing um, which was keep the u.s and the world economy going uh but the individual aspects of this uh cares act which I, I agree should have been larger than the business friendly aspects were tremendously important and tremendously influential. Uh, the first is the super unemployment. Uh, unemployment insurance in this country is done state by state, is tremendously uneven. What the federal government did for, I think, into the Biden administration. So for, for two years, uh, or at least, at least a year and a half, what they did was they basically topped up essentially doubled insur uh, unemployment insurance payments. So when you say unemployment insurance, is that money you'll get if you're unemployed, essentially? Exactly. Uh, which is... Like a, like a dole? Like a dole, which is by design, uh, because in the United States, we don't have uh, a, as well-developed a dole. This is unemployment insurance. It's meant to be short-term. It's meant to be uh, measly. It's meant to be small to give you, you know, it'll, punishment. it'll keep you in your apartment and keep you eating while you find your next job. The super unemployment, the federal government's add on to all these state unemployment insurances basically put people in a position where they could be making, uh, as much or more money than they had been making earlier. I have a friend who did that for a year and had like a great year. Well, you think in the middle of a pandemic is probably the, at least it's some sort of silver lining because it is a horrendous time. Oh yes, of course. But what's important about that? Okay. So we've got that. We've got the, the super unemployment, which was massively, which was transformative for people. 
The key thing about student debt, and I believe that uh, Biden's debt forgiveness plan is pretty good and it should be bigger than that. I would be more generous than that debt forgiveness plan. I'm not someone who's like, Ooh. is that the student debt? Yes, forgiveness the student plan? debt forgiveness plan. I'm not somebody who's like all student debt should be wiped out. That would be that would. But I think that, you know, means tested and like if you're in your 40s and still paying student debt for your undergrad, you know, you should probably, like I think there should be more generosity or what have you. That student debt forgiveness is that has been argued back and forth uh, and that the Supreme Court has now said Biden can't do, uh, leaves out the fact that it's been frozen. So nobody's paid any student debt payments since March of 2020. So think about that for a second. We are talking about millions or is it tens of millions of Americans who before 2020 had a... I don't, it depends on what the debt load was. Was it $100 a month? Was it $1,000 a month uh, that they were for $500 a month that they were responsible for paying? That's money that they had. So you've got the super unemployment. You've got the debt freeze. You've got uh, the child tax credit was something that I, mean, I can't recall if this was a Biden thing or if this was a Trump thing. It's gone now, unfortunately. But this was another tremendous amount of money. And this is where the great resignation came from, from the... Uh, and this is usually like pitched in some kind of like negative way, like, oh, damn, you know, normal people getting money from the government. That's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to go to airlines, you know, because airlines are great. What this allowed people to do for the first time since the Great Recession, since 2008, was just put their head above water, pay off credit card debts, pay off, uh, you know, have three months of leisure to be like, I'm going to get that certification to be the air conditioner tech I wanted to be and double my, uh, double my amount of money. Go get that little bit more of education. Go, you know, move away from my abusive partner. Like, it, there's a, literally millions of different stories. But also, I'm sure there's a, a shocking amount of Americans that have less than $1,000 in savings. Yes. That that completely helped. Yeah, it's absolutely transformative. And there's, there's figures on this, like just the incredible jump in Americans that had personal savings. And that is slowly, slowly going away. But the transformation of those that for once the 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 government gave money to, and this is a Trump and Biden accomplishment, gave money to everybody else, has created this mystifying economy that 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 just continues when you invest in americans that america does well i know it's it's shocking but but really nobody wants to connect these dots because this answer would keep things from going back to business as usual this being the answer to how to have uh, a flourishing economy in the united states again is not an answer that anybody who's benefited from the past four years wants to hear because, because they don't want competition. Exactly. They don't want competition for suckling at the government teeth. You know, the big banks, the tech folks, the, you know, all these folks that have benefited immensely from government handouts uh, to not a great deal of benefit. Uh, you know, some very impressive benefit, but for d- diminishing returns for well over a decade now. I uh, don't want the, they want to go back to 2019. They want to go back. To the old days when the only way anybody tried to help the economy was by giving them another tax cut that they could use to buy another private island. They want to go back to the point where uh, only monopolies that they owned were growing. They don't like this, you know, massive business formation. And that's, again, that's where the, the massive business formation we were talking about came from. It came from people being freed up enough 
to say, oh, I can finally start that business I want to start because I'm not in $10,000 of credit debt anymore, or I'm not um, desperately uh, trying to keep my children fed. I actually have like the even like month or two of runway I would need to start a small business that may or may not be flourishing. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of miraculous. But also move into jobs you just enjoy more. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's like we've kind of solved the economy, Rory. Like, and it's really frustrating that there are tremendous... Let's hope you're not speaking too soon. Oh, well, I know I'm speaking too soon. I, like I said, by Monday, we could be living in a completely different, uh, different environment. Uh, but like, was I, America technically in recession at the start of 2022? Uh, I don't know. Uh, briefly, yeah. Well, though, technically recession. I think technically, if it's two quarters, it looks like it was two quarters, and now it's back up. I know it's at 1.1, but it's still impressive for such a you know a, a giant country like America. Yeah, but just we we were in recession for for a quarter or two, and then it, and then it bounced I back. Think technically recession. I think it has to be two quarters and then out again. But it was crazy high. It was about. 6.3 in the year before. So in 2020, every economy in the world, actually, I think except for China, I think China went from like growing 8% to growing only 2% in 2020. But every country in the world lost GDP in 2020 because of COVID. Most countries in the world, if they're doing anything right, had a massive jump in 2021. And then there was some correct because, you know, they were making up for what had happened in 2020. And then in 2022, there was some sort of recession. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the technical aspects of whether or not there was a recession, something that I had not boned up on as well as you had before <laughs> this, uh, this, uh, this show, but I think the general narrative that I'm talking about here of a surprisingly durable and surprisingly successful U S economy, um, has, has remained the case. Uh, there's, there's another aspect to this narrative, which is energy. Um, and this is also, uh, you know, to, to, uh, well-meaning, uh, progressive-leading guys like to complain about the weather all the time. This gets into a more uncomfortable area for us. I think that we've largely solved the economy uh, with this, this idea we just give more money to uh, normal people. Uh, but I think that the conditions that have allowed that to happen are energy-related. And I think that we could have done this as, re as early as 2012. Uh, we could have gotten to this point where... Uh, we just spent enough money uh, by the government to actually kickstart of us out of the Great Recession and actually step out into the the happy uh, happy hunting grounds of economic prosperity, uh, of unlimited economic prosperity. And this is because of a, a picture of the world economy and history that I've been sort of developing recently. That uh, is something that I think a lot of is another thing that I think a lot of people want to ignore is just the massive change that happened to the world economy in the 1970s, and that is the energy crisis. Before the 1973 oil crisis, oil and gas was largely, you know, with some interruptions, was largely uh, quite, quite easy to access. And that ease of access uh, to oil, it was mostly oil at that point, natural gas only, I think, started being shipped between countries it in the 60s. It was, I think, yeah, byproduct for a lot of its history. Yeah, I think it's only in the 60s that you see uh, the Japanese innovated and you had large-scale natural gas. But, but so up post-war era, from World War II until uh, 1973, you had this incredible gift of energy that just got cheaper all the time. 
oil is just such an incredible wonder material. It's hard to comprehend, but the only thing that's more energy dense than oil is dynamite. Oh, wow. And then after that, you're going into nuclear. So it's just incredible. And the fact that there's just so much byproducts of it, it almost felt like we discovered it too soon and didn't appreciate <laughs> the, the miracle that we have. Yeah, it's it's a it's a miracle drug, and it's probably killing us. But uh, it's um, <laughs> but we love it. But we love it. The 1980s are remembered in the United States, and I think in Europe to some su- extent as like a happy uh, go go greed is good yuppies. Yeah, yuppies and finance, and this is great. It's remembered everywhere else in the world as like nightmare times, like uh, Latin America, Africa going through debt crises. All of a sudden, uh, interest rates are uh, ruinously high, and uh, oil and ga- oil and gas costs infinitely more than it used to. Just nightmare times uh, for a lot of the world, uh, and it's been really difficult, not just in uh, the developing world, but even in the developed world as well. You, 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 there's certainly some rose-colored hindsight looking at the the trente glorious the, the three glorious decades between world war ii and 1973 there was something that was very very different about the world economy and this this led to lower growth rates in the united states and europe as well uh and it it, it created actually a kind of regime change in the united states and europe when we were able in this free energy era to have a much more worker-friendly set of economic choices being made, um, that, you know, the, the door slammed shut on that sort of thing with Reaganism and Thatcherism, uh, in part because things had gotten so much more difficult uh, because of higher energy prices. Starting around 2012 or so, that stopped being a problem. Like, the, the energy crisis that started in 1973 kind of ended in the second Obama administration with the shale miracle. Still growing exploitation of oil and gas in Texas. Uh, Texas, no, sorry, Texas, Oklahoma, the Dakotas. Uh, I think they're doing a fair amount of fracking in Pennsylvania. Like, and yes, uh, climate change is bad. Freeing up the world from the demands of texas and saudi arabia uh is has been extraordinary and i think that we could have gotten the economic miracle the u.s economic miracle that we've seen post-covid and to some degree actually in the trump the trump administration before covid we could have gotten that back in 2012 if the republicans had let obama do it what specifically had obama tried that got knocked away well, and they, this is also, Obama had somewhat internalized this as well, uh, because the stimulus package had been so historically outsized looking uh, from 2008, the narrative instantly became for Republicans and Democrats that, oh, we've got to do something about the deficit. And what the COVID example makes clear, and actually what the Trump administration's example makes clear, was that actually the economy would have recovered a lot sooner if we'd done more stimulus, if we hadn't jumped straight into austerity. Because I've heard the sort of generic thinking is almost when the economy's doing well, you should invest in it less so it doesn't overheat. And then when it's doing badly is when you should invest. But annoyingly, most countries seem to do the opposite. Exactly. Uh, Or at least that's been the case since it's sort of like a reverse Keynesianism since the great financial Mm -hmm. crisis. I think Obama was conscious that he wanted to do more spending uh, and the Republicans kept cutting him down. 
It was uh, deficits went down across Obama's time uh, in power, uh, fighting over it with the Republicans. Uh, we had the oh gosh, what was that called? It was it was a particular kind of uh, budgetary mechanism whereby defense was cut, which I liked, uh, but everything else was cut as well, and spending kept going down and. The United States would stubbornly refuse to recover. So what happened when Trump came into office is behind this, a lot of things happened during the Trump administration that really, really mattered, that changed a great deal, that had nothing to do with the garbage we were paying attention to on cable news every night. The switch to great power competition we've talked about, which I think is a massive swindle um, uh, per perpetrated by the foreign policy establishment that happened during the Trump administration. Basic abandonment of the austerity that the Republicans enforced on Obama also happened during the Trump administration. If you ask the Republicans, they'd say it was the Trump tax cuts that made a huge deal. But if you actually look into the numbers, no, it wasn't the tax cuts that started things off. It was Trump basically telling Congress, sure, spend whatever you want, who cares? Um, the deficit restriction that had happened over the course of Obama's last six years in power, the majority of his administration, all of a sudden was thrown out of the window um, and spending just went insane. Government spending went insane. All of the programs that the Democrats or the Republicans could think of were fully funded. I was mostly being angry about the defense budget being higher, which it certainly doesn't need to be. But everything else was jacked up as well under Trump. That's what the Trump economy was built on. Um, in addition to all of the sentiment stuff you were talking about, how Republicans you know, and most money managers are Republicans, or at least were back then. And like, if they felt better about, you know, a Trump looking guy being president rather than the black guy, like all of a sudden they felt better about the economy. And, you know, four or five billionaires feeling that way will make a huge difference to the economy. Especially to the media. Yes, exactly. But fundamentally, like it was Trump spending like a drunken soldier began the process for finally crawling us out of the Great Recession things actually did start improving. Things started looking pretty, looking a lot better, not, and not just for the rich under Trump, because Trump spent money like a drunken sailor. Biden has attempted to continue that. And of course, the Republicans now desperately want him to stop doing that because they want to get back in power. Um, and if things continue, to, they almost certainly won't. But if things continue to look the way they are looking this week in July 2023 uh, for the next year uh, or the next 15 months, then Joe Biden, whether or not he can string together a sentence uh, this time next year, uh, will be reelected as president. Uh, so the Republicans desperately want to stop that. And that's why they want, uh, that's why they ended the child tax credit. That's why uh, they made sure that all the super unemployment stuff stopped. To be clear, like, I think the child tax credit is something should be continued. The super unemployment needed to stop. Like at that, 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 you know, at a certain point, you know, the, I am not a modern monetary theorist. Like at a certain point you can spend too much. So the super unemployment needed to stop. And what they also want to do is take those millions of people who've had those, this three year grace period of not paying their student debt wants to throw that, you know, thousand dollar, uh, essentially thousand dollar a month tax back on them. Uh, so they can screw up the economy uh, in time to uh, elect whatever nightmare uh, they want to elect. It is kind of fascinating where things are. So what do you think um, the Democrats will do to desperately keep the economy going well before the next election? 
Well, the nice thing is, I think Biden has a lot of levers that he can pull, and he doesn't have to do too much. With the infrastructure bill, with the IRA, which I'm just beginning to try to understand. I'm sorry, that's a... Uh, I always try to use the when I'm speaking with you, Rory. I always try to no, I, I understand. Yeah, I'm always trying to. I always try to use the <laughs> uh, the, the the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, so the Inflation Reduction Act uh, was, uh, and I think we can admit this, uh, was tremendously, uh, according to the way the economists traditionally understand things, tremendously inflationary. Like it gives a lot of money to. Uh, folks who want to build renewable infrastructure. It is a tremendous gift, uh, hilariously. The Inflation Reduction Act, this bi signature Biden piece of legislation is a tremendous gift to Elon Musk uh, and uh, Tesla. Uh, I think Tesla had run out of its ability to benefit from government handouts. So, well, subsidies. Uh, I think the, the initial subsidies for renewable vehicles uh, tapped out at like the 200,000 uh, unit you shifted or something along those lines. Uh, that that was lifted. That cap was lifted. So this isn't on renewable production. It's on you know other renewables. Is that how it works? The IRA. I've been listening to a fair amount of podcasts. I've got a book. I'm uh, I'm now deciding that it's important enough for me to actually try to understand the energy grid, uh, which is in the United States. Which and is America a, has three. Yeah, at least. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a incredible. Texas has its own because it's special. Yes, ERCOT or what have you. <laughs> uh, but uh, my understanding is that the IRA has tremendous subsidies for individuals who want to buy an electric car, people who want to install heat pumps, people who want to do solar panels. There's also a very complicated and extensive set of subsidies for utilities to do things for. Uh, renewable construction companies to do things. It is this incredible smorgasbord of stuff yeah. uh, that I, I was listening to like an Ezra Klein podcast on this, and I think they said that it doesn't really necessarily have a cap on it. Um, wow. So unless <laughs> the Republican judiciary uh, can find a way to stop that the way that they've tried to stop student debt relief. But the thing is, given enough time, a lot of the old guard will just get outcompeted because Texas is a, a great example. So America has, you know, one grid on the East Coast, one mm -hmm. on the West Coast, and Texas <laughs> is its own wee special thing. Yeah. But one weird thing about the Texas grid is it's very laissez-faire. This means, on average, you can pay a lot less because they, they don't do a lot of um, a weathering of <laughs> the infrastructure. Routine maintenance you'd need for it to actually work. Yes, because it's so, it's so competitive, it's so run lean. But when things do go wrong, you do pay like a staggering amount. It's terrifying. But because it's so laissez-faire, a hell of a lot of profits are being made in wind and solar. So given enough time, they're just going to slowly be giving money to the Republican Party. And <laughs> the old fracking oil guard is going to get muscled out eventually. Well, I, I wish I was that optimistic because the, 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 <laughs> the, but I think that's definitely true. The dynamic you're identifying with Texas, and this is a, another dynamic with the, the, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which is just, it's a ridiculously named thing. It's, it's, it is a lot of things, but it's mostly a green subsidies act. The thing is, and this is conscious to some extent, uh, Republicans, red states benefit much more highly from the, this range of subsidies. Well, cause red states tend to be poorer, don't they? They're cheaper. Uh, exactly that laissez-faire thing you were talking about in Texas to revamp the New York grid, which is something that people are trying to do or build more solar, build more renewable stuff in New York. 
is infinitely more difficult than it is to build. Because it's so much older than a lot of America, wouldn't it be? It's older, it's more densely populated. I mean, New York has got vast stretches of nothing, but it's the places where the people are, but you want to get the power to is some of the most expensive real estate on the planet. And then, of course, you've got unions, you've got uh, all these uh, blood-sucking consultancies that that, uh, are uh, uh, interweaved with the Republican and Democratic uh, Party. You've got all this just awfulness that makes things more difficult. So actually, red states are benefiting more uh, from uh, the IRA than blue states. Uh, which is also uh, just sort of hilarious, the number of Republicans who are voted against the Inflation Reduction Act, who are eagerly running around opening these projects. So to some extent, you know, honestly, if Joe Biden wasn't um, conceivably at death's door uh, and perpetually, <laughs> perpetually... Um, yes, but Trump isn't the healthiest man in the world either. He isn't, but there there are other viable uh, Republicans and there are uh, other viable Democrats. I mean, God, it would be so great if Biden was just to get to the end of this year and go, you know what? I've done a great job. Let me introduce you to... Gavin Newsom or uh, really anybody, uh, Gre- Gretchen Whitmer or you know, the Michigan governor. Uh, that would be amazing. And I, I'm sure that Newsom and Whitmer are very ready for exactly that sort of thing. Um, but I, I'm afraid that Biden's probably just going to keep at it because if it worked for Biden, over some more sunbags. If it worked for Biden's age, uh, we would almost certainly be avoiding more nasty Republican governors. Like the Republicans just need more time in the wilderness. There's there's sparks. There's sparks of sense. Um, people love people like me who live in New York City love to hate J.D. Vance and Josh Hawley, and there are very loathsome aspects to J.D. Vance and Josh Hawley. Uh, but there are some very interesting aspects of the way that they are evolving politically. Essentially, the idea, uh, and some people will tell you this is already the case, and they're absolutely bonkers. But there are elements within the Republican Party that are realizing that this thoughtless uh, sucking up to corporate power that they've been doing for the past century, really, um, is not going to not going to do the trick, Uh, not going to do the trick for the country and not going to do the trick electorally any longer. Um, So I, I, I like I'm not someone who thinks that we should never have a Republican president again. But we certainly shouldn't have one in the 2020s. Um, When's the last time the Republicans won the popular vote? Um, the second Bush administration. Oh, okay, they did a you know out and out win it then. Yes, yeah, I think they the big. But I've heard that demographics are looking really bad for the Republicans in the future. I don't, but no, I they were I don't I okay. don't believe that for a second. Uh, there's always America is a uh, intrinsically conservative country. Because conservative is defined differently than it is in Europe. You know, we're not monarchists, we're not loyalists, but we are a laissez-faire freedom. We get to do what we want, uh, pro-business country. The only reason the Republicans aren't uh, running the books in this country is because they have been so catastrophically disastrous. I mean, under uh, Bush, you've got Iraq, you've got 9-11, you've got 2008. Under Trump, you have the cataclysmic mismanagement of the world COVID crisis. Uh, it, they're just nightmare people. Uh, this this country is naturally votes Republican. Uh, immigrants naturally want to vote Republican if the Republicans would stop putting up a bunch of deranged bigots. But you bring up a good point about immigration there is, is America deliberately not taking in a lot of immigrants at the moment? U.S. immigration system really is such a, a monstrously complex thing 
that it's entirely possible. I my answer is I don't know um, because I know that certainly during COVID we were taking a historically low level of of migration, which is understandable. I know that we are taking a historically low level uh, number of people over the border. Um, I know that that's a disaster. Like the the uh, incredible. Talk about welfare queens, you know, the Border Patrol and uh, the Department of Homeland Security are the worst welfare queens imaginable. They, they're essentially creating a problem for their own benefit. Um, but a lot of U.S. migration is not done over the border. It is done through it is done through airports. It is done legally. It is done. Uh, and I, my understanding is that there has been some really um, encouraging recovery in those sorts of numbers. Um, outside of the, the the border job fair for the border patrol, so I I, I can't answer that with any okay. um, any seriousness at this point. But my understanding is there's been some recovery in levels of migration to the United States, not as much as I'd like, of course, but because that was given as one way to help the sheer amount of job vacancies. Yes, uh, and that that's that's sort of an interesting that's an interesting question. Uh, I think another pe- argument that oh Trump you know Trump really helped the the lower class by uh, limiting immigration uh, because there were more jobs for uh, lower income folks in the United States. And I think there are there's a very small element of truth to that. I think that was certainly one factor helping uh, the great resignation come about, helping labor via more value. But I think that's only true to an extent. And I think that there is absolutely open borders, fully open borders are, are not something that the United States can do uh, probably this century. Um, but there is a uh, scope for more intelligently managing what those levels are. And we don't do any of that at this point. You've got on the right, you've got the Border Patrol and the Fox News racists and a bunch of other you know folks. And then on the left, actually, you've got a lot of folks who've kept us from uh, formulating more sensible asylum laws. Um, so it's a mess that both parties are creating. Um, that keeps intelligent immigration management uh, from happening uh, because too many people... Democrats would be considered quite right-wing in a lot of European countries, for instance. Oh, for sure. So to sort of, oh yeah, it's just left and right. It's such a sort of abstract concept that mostly just, it's a very tribalist. You're mostly saying you're on that side, you're so evil. Very rarely does it seem to be constructive. Yeah, it is a mess. There was there was a point that was in my brain, Ray. We're going to edit this out. What was it? There was something I wanted. <laughs> no, to... this is the intro. Yeah, there was something. There was something <laughs> I really wanted to say. the The idea of this uh, Republican Biden, you know, is this Bidenomics? People have started talking about Bidenomics, sort of taking taking credit. And I think that that's I think that's excessive. I think that the Federal Reserve deserves credit for a lot of things. But if you read economists, it's not entirely clear uh, to most economists and business analysts that this raising of interest rates is what killed inflation. Inflation may have just been transitory all along. It was just supply chains that needed to get sorted out. Um, so I think the, I, I like Powell, the guy at the Fed. Uh, he was, I believe, appointed by a Republican, but then Biden decided to re-up him. I don't think Biden, Joe Biden himself, deserves complete credit for what's going on in the economy right now. He doesn't deserve complete credit for this miraculous U.S. economy that we've got right now. That that we weren't supposed to have. We were never supposed to be able to raise interest rates again. We were never supposed to, we were, we were going to fall into hyperinflation, like all the crypto folks and the guy who founded Twitter, like, oh yeah, 
hyperly like none of this was supposed to be possible. It's pretty miraculous. And I don't think Joe Biden deserves the credit, frankly. Um, I think that Joe Biden deserves part of the credit. I think that Donald Trump deserves part of the credit, unfortunately. But I don't think he would have done it if it wasn't for COVID. I think that's true. Uh, I think that's true to a degree, though. Remember, he was also, I think as if Donald Trump were president, he'd be very happy to have Congress spend more money on things. Uh, They would be different things. They would be worse things. And you would have a crazy person as president, which didn't seem to matter for three years uh, until all of a sudden COVID happened. And it really mattered that we had a crazy person as president. Um, But I think what you can say is that Biden wants to keep this miracle going. And the Republicans, as they are currently constituted, want to stop this miracle. They want to do more tax cuts. They want to scrape more power away from the individual and give it to businesses. It's really straightforward. They, you know, the Biden administration, one of the most important things that they've done is uh, put Lena Khan in at the Federal Trade Commission, uh, start to finally crack down on big tech, start to finally crack down on mergers and private equity and all this stuff. The first thing the Republicans will do if they get in charge is kick Lena Khan out and put like a Facebook lobbyist in charge of the Federal Trade Commission. No matter how much they talk about how much they hit big tech, um, I think that Biden Bidenomics uh, is not the exclusive reason we have this economic miracle. I think it's got to do with energy. I think it's got to do with the miraculous innovation of giving money to normal people that started under the Donald the Trump administration. But I think that Bidenomics has a much higher chance of continuing this miracle than putting a Republican in power. Um, so I think for now, um, if we want to keep this good thing going, uh, we gotta, we gotta support the Democrats as much as that, as much as that pains me to say, uh, supporting a major party, um, because the Republicans are just insane and can't be trusted with power as they've demonstrated over and over and over and over and over again, uh, this century. So don't vote for the Libertarian Party then? No, don't vote for the Libertarian Party. Don't vote for the Greens. Vote for who, no, vote for whoever you would like. Uh, but if you would like the economic miracle in the United States to continue, I would suggest voting Democrat. Well, on that uh, pro-democratic, I meant uh, I meant that wrong. I meant as in uh, I want everyone to vote and take part in the democratic process, not to vote for the Democrats, which is what it sounded like. Ah, well, it, <laughs> it came out just fine to me, Rory. Yeah, I, I didn't. Di- I didn't mean to uh, uh, to to uh, film a. Uh, uh, hour-long uh, Democratic Party uh, campaign piece. Uh, in fact, I don't think that it's, you know, Democrats have some particular special sauce, but it's pretty clear to me that uh, they're just better administrators and would keep things going along in a positive way uh, more than the Republicans would. And we'll catch you next time. Indeed. The More Freedom Foundation is also available on YouTube and TikTok. Rob's Twitter is RobOLaw. And he's also written a book called Avoiding the British Empire, what it was and how the US can do better. And music provided by Kevin MacLeod.